Hi everyone, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. And this is The Dapper Meeple. This show is about our love of gaming, the games we play, and the gaming community around this passion. So pull up a chair, put on your Dapper Meeple hat, and join us at the table. Hey kids, remember, this is an adult podcast and may contain adult language. Also, Dapper Meeple hat, not required. Hey, on today's episode, apparently, board games are terrible. You know, according to that one guy on the internet. We discussed the progress on our 10x10 challenge and a few TTRPGs to check out that aren't D&D. Then we'll board the Silver Ferryman and try to beat some humanity back into these haints with Vagrant Song. All that and more on this episode of The Dapper Meeple. So I would ask you what you've been up to, but you sent me the link so I could read this, and uh, we found an article here that was published a couple days ago by a, um, I guess we'll call him a journalist, (laughs) (laughs) out of Sydney, Australia. And the title of the article is, Board Games Are Terrible, Please Don't Make Me Play Them. Right. The article kind of just talks about how this person just doesn't like board games. That's how it starts out. Is I went to a board game night and I didn't have any fun. And this is why. There's one person that knows how to play and just kicks all of our asses. And this is infantile and I didn't like it. I think that's kind of the gist of the whole article. I mean, that's a that's a fairly good summarization. Specifically, the one person who hosts the board game night is always the best at the board games. He always beats everybody and he's always way too serious at board games. But the article went from why I don't like board games to why you shouldn't like board games. And I think that's that's one of my biggest problems with it um, because we've all been there. We've been to those board game nights where maybe they didn't hit on all cylinders. Right? Sure. Whether it's the game or the group of people playing the game or whatever it is. We, we've we all had those scenarios. If you haven't, you haven't been playing games long enough. Uh, don't worry, it's out there. It's you, out there. You'll find yeah. it. Um, it's like riding a motorcycle. You're going to lay it down at one point. <laughs> You might as well just get ready. Yeah. It'll be okay. Um, so that part is okay. I, I don't like the way he went about it. Uh, I mean, to me, it sounds like, A, either they were playing the wrong game for a group, or B, the person who was teaching slash, you know, hosting picked the wrong game. Yeah. Or the group was just bad. Like, it's it, it's one a combination of those things. Because, like I said, we've all been there. But my biggest problem with the article and why I, I sent it to you, one, um, and also why I think we wanted to talk about it real quick, was he brings up this idea that uh, board games are part of an overarching problem with adults. He describes it as the infantilization of adults in our generation or our culture. Uh, he lists a bunch of things, many um, of which I don't see any problem with. Right. Consider also the dominance of pop music by grown-up teen stars, the rise of meal prep kits, the Wiggles winning the hottest 100, adults buying coloring books, adults wearing things called ODs? That must be an Australian thing. Yeah. Adults yeah. talking about Harry Potter, adults watching Bluey, adults playing video games, quoting too much from The Simpsons, you name it, I could go on this rant forever. This sounds like just a very unhappy man. I mean, he named a lot of really fun things to do. So, I, I mean, <laughs> also some very Australian things as well, like the Wiggles. But still, um, I, 
but it it brings up a really good point. I will will continue to tear apart this guy uh, because one, I think this is crazy. Um, but there was a discussion actually where I found this thread on Reddit about it was any of this true? Does playing board games mean that you are less of a mature adult? Um, no. Yeah, that first of all, board games are expensive. <laughs> You have to have adult money to afford board games. Uh, but And there were some interesting opinions um, that were shared in, in the subreddit, but I, I think it comes down to uh, board games are so much more than they used to be. Absolutely. First of all, we're talking about a $13 billion, billion dollar yeah. a year industry. We talked about here recently. We're in, we are in the golden age of board games. Yeah. People are staking their livelihood on making these games. And I mean, look at us, like our little, you know, dinky podcast out of Virginia Beach. This is a big part of it. Going to the conferences, going to, you know, PAX, you know, going to Gen Con, these conventions and getting together and seeing these people talking to creators that are building these games. And they sit down and it is a labor of love for them to create something that they're going to give for someone else and they're going to enjoy. Yeah. Not to mention playing games has been part of you know, human history for as long as we've been recording it. Yeah, yeah. So this isn't like it's a new thing. It's just getting to the point where there's a lot more that we can do now than what we ever could before in yeah. the game design space, in uh, just what we're making the games out of to how we're making them and how complicated they may get or how silly they may be just because it's a party game where it's meant to make people laugh. Yeah, to me, this article comes across as... Um, what what I would normally describe as a boomer article. Um, but the dude's only like 35. Yeah, because if you think about it, it's kind of the same argument made against like streamers and stuff. Um, like, how are they able to make a living doing what they're doing? Yeah. You know, like, why is that a thing? Like, why are these 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 kind of jobs like why are they making money? Things like that. Like they need to grow up and stop playing video games for money. Yeah. Uh, but. I, I think that's the thing is that why do you want to challenge somebody's way of enjoying and having fun that first of all, doesn't hurt anybody. And in many cases often helps people. Right. Like it's, it just, it's, I have a problem with, with that. Yeah. 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 The, he really feels like he comes into this camp of, you know, your fun is wrong. Yes. Now, if he just doesn't like board games, that's fine. I think the the best analogy that I heard was you could have the most juicy and ripe peach that has ever been grown on planet Earth. But if somebody doesn't like peaches, they ain't going to like it. Right, right. And that's that's the same kind of thing here. If he doesn't like board games, that's okay. Not everybody has to. I would make the argument I feel like there probably is a board game everyone can get behind. Sure. The question is just finding it. Yep. But if you don't want to, that's fine. And nobody is saying that you have to. But to write an article that basically says that you should not like board games because they're not for adults has one doesn't know what they're talking about. And two has never looked at anything probably past shoots and ladders would be my guess. Yeah. Yeah. Just listening to the way that he talked about, you know, the guy that's good at board games is usually the one that wins. And then if you want to feel good about yourself, bring another rookie. So you don't feel so bad. Like, first of all, you're either playing with a really bad group or, you have really serious problems you need to go talk to a therapist about. Because board games, if you feel bad leaving a board game, yeah, that's on you. Yeah. Um, 
but that sort of thing is just ridiculous. But he doesn't even talk about. I mean, I know you're a big fan of cooperative board games. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> that was my other big thing was like, um, what about a cooperative game? Yeah, like, where there is the nobody game losing. Just, yeah, the game just kicks your ass. <laughs> <laughs> you just get beat up by invisible game mechanics. Would yeah. you feel better about that? Uh, He's going to go home and punch a wall if that happens. <laughs> this dude's picking up a four loco on the way home or whatever they have in Australia. and He's going to beat the shit out of the drywall. Foster's. That's what I see. <laughs> We talked about this multiple times, but this just brings up again. There is so much crazy and new and innovative design space within board games now. They are nothing like what they used to be. They're not all just roll and do something mechanics. Like right. The the things that they are able to do now are just amazing. And they continue to come up with new and exciting things. There's space there for everyone. But at the same time, there's also... Like, there are more adult-geared board games now. Not even, like, theme necessarily, but also complexity. Like, yeah. I could not imagine sitting down, you know, a 11, 12-year-old down to play a copy of, like, Nemesis or something. Oh, no. No. Yeah. Like, we've got a couple of boxes sitting on the shelf right now that, like, my 15-year-old looks at and goes, nah. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. You know? And, I mean... But those games are, again, with so much of a spread in what games are now... I think those games are designed for people that like to play games like that's the yeah. group we call that comes around that plays the crunchier games that plays something a little bit more complex that likes the reading the rules and understanding and figuring out what to do next and having multiple turns and multiple ideas of where they can go and what they can do. Yeah. Right. There are plenty of games that we play that we invite new people over. and We're like, hey, we can play this game. Yeah. Easy to understand. Quick to, you know, catch on. Yep. And we've I've never had anybody leave one of our board game nights and not ask to come back sometime. Yeah. So that's what I, I think a lot of it is experience in this. And just uh, again, my biggest problem is not that he didn't have a good time. My biggest problem is him saying that other people should not like board games. Right. Because they are, are not mature. There right. Go. I know I'm old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 43 may not be that old but um i've seen some things and at this point in my life i'm going to do the things that i enjoy when i have free time yeah you know we, we get on xbox every now and play i we luckily we know how to avoid actually having to talk to like children and stuff like that so i don't get cussed out by 13 year olds because yeah. then i say things that get me like communications banned <laughs> so uh but playing games is the same thing like this is what i enjoy doing i, I like the complexity i like having something to work my brain around I, I, could I sit down and do calculus for a couple hours? Yeah. Would that be fun? No. Yeah. I, to me, being an adult is having the ability to choose what you want to do. Yeah. Like that's that's the core part of being an adult. I mean, as as kids, we when we are growing up, we go, well, I'm, I'm going to eat ice cream for dinner every night. As an adult, we realize that's not always the best idea. But if you want to knock yourself out. Because it's your money. You're the one who worked 40 hours a week to go get that money. Like, you can go do what you want with it. Absolutely. But I don't think it is right for you to say that another person cannot enjoy something. Like, and that makes them less of an adult if they do. Yeah. Um, and especially with this topic, again, we, we pretty much hammered it home. But yeah, this this article was, was crazy. So, sorry there, Kishore. We do not agree. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And it kind of feels like it's a little bit of clickbait. Just going to say. Yeah. Because we love board games. Enough so that we get ourselves involved in like self-inflicted challenges for the year. Uh, we put it out on our Instagram. We're 
10 games that we are tracking that we're going to play 10 times over this year, 2023. Now, my girlfriend was standing here while we were talking about it this weekend. She's like, you know, that's like 100 plays, right? There's only 52 weeks in the year. Like, she starts breaking down the numbers and stuff. Like, we care about details when we plan. (laughs) I don't know if I like your attitude, woman. Um, But yeah, yeah, it's 100 plays. Yeah. And some of them are a little more complicated than others, but I still think we got this. I mean, we're still in January. And we've already gotten three plays down, which is technically four weeks, three, two, eight. So we're like five behind right now. So we're going to have to jump on that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, even if we don't get it done, I, I think this is something that I wanted to do more of is play more of the games that we have. Yeah. We because we have several. Yeah. We a got- lot of times we only get a couple plays in of a game at most. And then that's all we get. Which sucks because there are so many games like we talked about that are complex, and the more you play, the deeper you get into them. You can you can understand the mechanics better as you go, right? Which is something that that's kind of what spurred this challenge. Is these are games that we want to have a better understanding of and have more fun with them, and just kind of get deeper into the game. Yeah, and a lot of them are story driven as well, which then you get more of the story, you get further into it. Yeah, which leads us to the game that we're going to um, talk about in our games we play segment today. But it is the game that we played a couple rounds of this weekend, and that is Vagrant Song. So we got two plays in of this this weekend right. uh, with uh, two new people yes. who had never played before. So we have our own like little campaign started. Um, but yeah, this is it's just a fantastic game, and we'll we'll talk a lot more about it. But uh, it's not a super hard teach. It's not a super hard play. Um, yeah, and yeah. it's getting easier to find as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah so that's, that's a big, a part, big of part of it. Yeah, because <laughs> Tom Vassell loved it like a year and a half ago. So yeah. I like to think that because we love it now, it's better because people can find it. Um, <laughs> this checks out. Uh, the other game we got actually got to the table uh, is Heroes of Arcadia. Now we talked about this one a lot because we were waiting on it forever, but it just came in the mail when we were at PAX, and we finally got a group together to play it. Um, but yeah, really great design. It is technically a drinking game your characters are represented by little plastic pint glasses that have your character picture on one side and their name which are all ridiculous and then on the other side uh, there are markings to show your hit points you have 60 hit points you fill with a drink of your choice to the 60 point line and then whenever you take damage you drink down to whatever damage you took Um, you can also heal yourself so make sure you don't just completely empty the can right yeah, yeah. Keep healing nearby. <laughs> uh, and you start out, basically, you have a grid of like six uh, hexes that your all of your characters go on. And then each character, each person gets a stack of dungeon tiles, which are more hexes. And you just lay them out, connecting them as you want to go. So the dungeon takes on a completely different shape every time. And you can kind of begin and work your way down whichever one you would like. Uh, you flip over the tile and if it's a, sometimes you're just given stuff like here's a power up or here's a, uh, loot card. Sometimes it's a monster and you have to roll to defeat them. They basically all have a level, which is what you have to roll to defeat with a D 20. And you may have power ups that help you do that or loot cards that help you. And if you defeat them, you move on to their space. If you lose, you take the damage and flip the card back over. You're all looking for the ultimate drink horde, which is protected by the drink horde guardian. You have to have three power-ups to be able to challenge him and then roll higher than a 15. So it's not hard to win the game. It's just hard to find the game. Yeah, yeah. On the way, there are different cards that you can play, loot cards. You can lay traps down that people have to disarm before they can move into a space. 
you can do things like one of my favorite was the meat shield card. Yeah, yeah, that if one's you, fantastic. If you flip over a monster, you're like, I don't want to fight this. You play the meat shield card and pick somebody else that has to fight the monster. If they win, you get to move into that space and collect all the reward. If they lose, they take the damage. It's beautiful. Yeah. But there was a whole lot of cards like that that you could play that were just to mess with people, yep. right? Or there's another, what was the other one, Mimic? Yeah, the Mimic card lets you copy any loot card that gets played. Yeah, if somebody plays a loot card, you play Mimic, and then you treat that card as if you had just played it. Yeah. So it could bounce around a couple of times. Yeah, also, the, uh, the I like the one where you could switch tiles. So any two tiles, you could switch them around. What happened was I flipped over probably the most powerful monster. I it was think. a twenty to beat, so it's yeah, up there. Yeah, uh, it was like the Drunkalich or something. So I flipped it over and I didn't beat it, obviously, but I knew where that was then at that point. So I kept moving it in front of various people to see if they would they would pick it up. I ended up actually fighting it and beating it at one point. But yeah, the stuff like that it was it was really fun. It it does remind me. It kind of has a lot of feel of Munchkin. One of my problems with Munchkin was always it's a very linear progression system, though. Like, you're just going from level 1 to 10. The first version to 10 wins. Mm -hmm. Like, this actually, with the the layout of the board and that spatial element, I think really adds more to this. Because it didn't feel like anybody was completely behind. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a luck of the draw thing. I didn't take hardly any damage, but also didn't find anything either. Yeah. Like I kind of hung out for a while, um, it, it which is was upsetting very... because I had a really nice shandy in my cup. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is very light, which I think adds to like it, it's less of a if you don't win, it's like eh. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, it was it was a very fun game. I I'm very glad that we finally got our hands on it. Was able to get it to the table too. Uh, cause yeah, it was, it was very cool. We even had a guy who did not drink and he just kept track of what his health was with a set of dice. Yeah. So, right. So all uh, kinds of options. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we do clean our cups afterwards. So just in case anybody's wondering. Yeah. We uh, also have straws if you want to use your own cup. Yeah. We picked up at PAX. The straws have the health point markers. You can just stick them in your glass and see how much health you have and then drink it that way. Yeah. Um, which is a great idea if you're traveling with this too. Yep. So or you if you just take, take it to box. like a bar or something like that, you could just use whatever pie glass they give oh, you. Oh yeah, perfect. Yeah. yeah. So so it was a good weekend of gaming. We were also trying to keep up on <sighs> Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro. Like shenanigan. Like how many times have we just told you, Wizards, just be better, yeah. just be better. And this was not it. It was leaked what they were planning to do with the OGL, and then there were some more leaks that continued on. Basically, Hasbro, which is the parent company. Wizards of the Coast, though, I read, is the only division that's actually making money at Hasbro. Everything else is operating at a loss. I can see that. So Hasbro decided, well, we'll just squeeze all the money we can out of this. Yeah. And you just picked the wrong damn community. Like, what do we do? We get together to play this game, and we all play heroes fighting against, like, the evil big bad. And how many times has that ended up being a corporation? (laughs) Like, you just (laughs) shot yourself right in the (laughs) foot with this one. We're going to put an OGL out there and see if they understand it. Have you met a rules lawyer? For yeah. Come on. The, the only good corporation is Acquisitions Incorporated, and even then it's questionable. Right? <laughs> right? It's it's iffy. Um, a lot of creators came out against this, and basically with some of the things were like the OGL, the new version that they wanted, which if you don't know, the OGL is the open gaming license. It's what lets other companies use some of, the, some of Wizards' content to create their own novels games uh this is what has spawned cobalt press this is what has spawned the acquisitions incorporated guys they've been playing with the D system forever 
in a live play critical role fifth edition stuff that came out with like you know Taldori book and stuff the core rules right is what it allows them to really copy and use um so that's why you have so many 5e supplements i mean we've talked about a few of them doing our crowdfunding roundup yep um, because there are always at least one or two different things on there um just a lot of really cool stuff has been made because wizards allowed other people to use their base rule set because then it becomes almost like a drag and drop what do you want to use in your game sure like there have been some really cool like specifically the tome of beasts from uh cobalt press Press, is super popular and it adds a lot of like monsters and complexity to the monsters and things like that so really cool stuff and now that they were talking about not only walking that back but really Making it super restrictive. Yeah, they were the new OGL that they let leak. The one point one version, I think, is what they were calling it. Uh, basically, stopped third party um, creators from being able to use anything related. Um, and if you did create something, like maybe even on Drive Through RPG, Wizards of the Coast would retain ownership of it, even yes. though they had and they could publish it again and make money off of it and there was a lot of debate back and forth they said they were going to cancel the original ogl which would mean all these companies that have been using it to make content would be in some kind of a violation this whole thing was kind of geared toward them with creating their own virtual tabletop right because they had right. D beyond which was really popular uh especially with critical role fans yeah um it lets you create characters you buy the stuff from them the books the information all that um and they're going to turn that into something bigger and they were just trying to push everybody out. They were just trying to make it where if you want to play D&D, you're playing our D&D. Yeah. Again, they totally picked the wrong community. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I feel like we've had an argument against gatekeeping for a long time. Like, <laughs> So the some of the big things that happened was, first of all, there was just a big uproar. And we tried to like, all right, let's wait and see. Let's see what they're doing. And it did turn out that it, it really seems like they were just trying to be as horrible as what what it seemed. They did end up walking it back. The big thing that... I think really changed their mind was people that had D and D beyond subscriptions went in and canceled like en masse. Yeah. Enough to crash the website a few times. Yeah. And they lost people that have been on that thing for, you know, since its inception. Yeah. That yeah. just canceled it. Um, and so they started walking a lot of it back and they're like, Whoa, that's not what we meant. Our bad. They put out some kind of a BS apology. Like, yeah. well, we were trying to do what's best for the community and everybody collectively was like, Hey, F you has bro. Yeah. And, if there would have been the ability to get together with pitchforks and torches, we would have burned Hasbro to the ground. <laughs> there were a lot of problematic things coming back, and the way that they've kind of damage controlled has also been problematic. Right. I, just, I, the second, the yeah, the second one that came out was from the actual president of the D and D side of it, yeah. and he came out and said, "Hey, we did this wrong. That was our bad." It's like the first time they actually let a human talk to us. Yeah, it was better, but at this point, everybody's like. Mm. You got us on fourth edition. You screwed us there. And it feels like you were trying to do it again. Yeah. And we just caught you. So there's a lot of people now that are like, you know what? I'll go play other games. Yeah. So I think what Hasbro has done is what happened to them again in fourth edition. The crap they pulled there that made everybody a little. Yeah. Yeah. That's what spawned Paizo. Their, their biggest competitor came out of them screwing up fourth edition. And it feels like they're doing it again. Yeah. I really do think that. There's a there's a lot of issues with what they got going on, but I'm I really do think that there's gonna be some really good stuff to come out of this. We all know competition usually breeds better products. Yes. So I think having 
having the company that thinks they're invincible be taken down, I think is only going to be better for the hobby. That and again, Paizo, which is the company that makes Pathfinder. Yeah. Who they just came out with Pathfinder second edition last year, year before. Yeah. Streamlined it a little bit because Pathfinder's for people that like math. I will always stick to that. I don't think Pathfinder for me is as good of a storytelling engine, but it is a very crunchy, like if you want to design exactly this character, Pathfinder is a way you can do that. Yeah. Um, it's not my favorite, but I will play it. It, it. it seems now, whether I want to or not, but they started working on an open gaming license that yeah. is, they're calling it the Orc, the Open RPG Creative License, something that Paizo has begun developing in conjunction with a lot of these companies. Arcane Minis, Alchemy RPG, Black Book Editions, Bombshell Miniatures, uh, Demiplane, DM Dave, The DM Lair, EN Publishing, Epic Miniatures, Evil Genius Games. Like, I'm just running down a list. Cobalt Press, uh, Green Ronin, Games on Tabletop. There are so many. Monty Cook Games, Necromancer Games. Uh, There's so many companies signing into this because they believe that it an open gaming community is a healthy gaming community. Yeah. So once this is developed and everybody signs off on it, they're going to be giving it to like a third party uh, nonprofit to maintain it. So it doesn't matter who owns Paizo Press. Yeah, it won't ever be changed. Yeah, this will always be solid, which, yeah. like I said, Pathfinder wasn't my game. But when you do stuff like this, I feel like I got to support you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's doing it right. They're they're the big dog in the new game, I guess is yeah. what Oregon too. But there are other people out there too. If you're looking for another game, if you want to step away from D and D, now uh, I will kind of put this little caveat in: if you enjoy Fifth Edition and you love Fifth Edition, play Fifth Edition. Yeah, but do your best to not support Wizards and their effort if that's the stance you want to take. Absolutely, and there's absolute ways you can do that. Like all the stuff we've already bought, we've already bought. Yeah. And I mean, that's that is what it is, because I, I know fifth edition is very close to my heart and it's probably something I will will continue to play until who knows, maybe I'll find something else because there are so many options out there now. And they're becoming more and more prevalent because of this. Yes, there are a lot of people who would have never seen the spotlight or light of day for that matter that are now getting their products out in the open because people are looking for ways to basically push a, push back against wizards. Right. Um, uh, a couple of them that we talked about, Pathfinder, of course, yep. is probably the biggest competition to 5th edition. Yeah. So, but I mean, beyond that. Um, there is one that I came across called 13th Age. So this one is actually by some former D&D designers from previous editions that made this game that is basically what if they created 5th edition. Right. So it is still a D20 system. Um, taking just a quick glance at the rule set, it does seem kind of fairly similar. Yep. Um, a little less math than what Pathfinder has. Um, more of a focus on storytelling elements, which I enjoy. So definitely one we'll be checking out in the future. Um, they were giving away their previous edition for free. I'm not sure if that's still active. If it is, we'll throw the link in in the notes. Yep. Um, but I do know they are running their current edition along with a bunch of other like extra books in a PDF version for like 20 bucks right now. So, Which reminds me also, Pathfinder right now has 25% off of their core rulebook if you order it from their site. Okay. Um, and I believe they might have a coupon for game stores as well. Okay. So that's something if you're interested, check it out. It is a massive book. It's 640 pages. Um, but and it's about 60 bucks. So 20% off of that is a deal if you're looking at getting into it. Yep. 
the other one that we have um, that we've we've mentioned many times before is Modiphius Games. Yeah, if, um, if there's a world you want to play in, 50-50 Modiphius has made it. <laughs> Fallout, Dune, Skyrim, Skyrim, <laughs> like they have all of the books for those systems. Um, definitely something to check out. I also, from my gaming group Discord, uh, somebody was telling me that they're coming out with GURPS 2.0, okay, which is just kind of an open gaming system. Uh, you can run anything you want in it. It's just a general gaming system, and they're streamlining that. Um, and hopefully, I think that's coming out uh, this early this year. So a new edition of that um, that you can check out. Lots of options. Like if you don't want to be involved with Wizards and you think Hasbro is a horrible company, which they seem to be right now, you've got options. You can put your money somewhere else. And yep. like we've said hundreds of times. Like this community has so much power behind it. Once we get together and focus on something, obviously we can completely cancel multi-million dollar companies. Once, once we we get all the ADHD people together, once the swarm gets focused the right way, we're good. Yeah, we're yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there and there are a ton more options out there too. You got things like the Fate system. Like, oh, Fate is oh, so good. All of these things. If if you right now is a really it's a wonderful time to find a new game, to find a new RPG, yep. and and just try it out. Give it a shot. There there are a ton of really good ones out there. There are more that are really kind of coming to light, too. Mm-hmm. More publishers are starting to see the opportunity to push a game when, I mean, if you lose the thing that had the stranglehold on RPGs, you start to see a whole lot more kind of flowering. So um, really excited to see kind of what happens with these smaller companies. Mm-hmm. Um, would love to see... Um, to see that kind of continue to grow that way um, and just see what happens. Right? Thanks, Hasbro. And now on Games We Play, Vagrant Song. Designed by Matt Carter, Justin Gibbs, and Kyle Rowan. With art by Wen May Diem. Published by Weird Miniatures. In this story-driven cooperative boss battler, you take on the role of a vagrant just looking to hop a train. What you find is a welcoming hand in a white glove with stretched skin beneath. It feels like squeezing a crumpled bag full of beef jerky as you climb aboard the Silver Ferryman. But this train feels strange, and it doesn't take you long to realize that you and your fellow vagrants aren't the only passengers on this ghost train. This spooky adventure is designed for two to four players, and starts when you choose from one of six different vagrants to play. Each character possesses unique powers and skills that help them survive and remind the ghost, called Haints in the game, of their lost humanity, thus freeing them from the grip of this train. During each turn, players are given three coins to use to determine what they'll do. They can move around the train, rummage for useful items, investigate areas of interest, or activate one of their skills. But be careful, as the Haints will do their very best to steal away your humanity and keep you on board forever. The game comes with a book of 20 scenarios that can be played as a campaign, with time in between each to heal up, swap out skills and junk, and prepare for the next chapter on board the Silver Ferryman. So this is one of those games that we were sleeping on. Um, it was on the best of list for like the Dice Tower and a bunch of other places in 2021. Right. Honestly, I don't know if Sleep on it is probably the best thing. We just didn't know it existed. Sure. 
And sure. if it wasn't for the six foot tall skeleton playing the violin that we saw at PAX, then probably would have never found it, honestly. <laughs> Which would have been disappointing because this game has turned out like it's a good game. Like this oh, is a gem. Yes. So we talked about our PAX experience. We saw a lot of games. We played a lot of games. Didn't even get to play this one. We just watched a quick demo of it as we were kind of walking through the aisles type thing. Right. Um, and the first thing that struck me about this was the components. Yes. Yes. Um, so the components to Vagrant Song are all standees, but they are acrylic standees. So knowing us, we love like fancy components, mostly like metal dice and stuff like that. But these standees are gorgeous. They really like, are. The art style on it is very much like 1920s, kind of like early 20th century cartoon, yep, like the yep. kind of stuff you think about when like Steamboat Willie error. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of the the big head kind of stuff with like the over exaggerated features. Sure, is the way yep. I would describe it. But yeah, it's but the artwork across all of them, the artwork on the vagrants, and then all the different haints, which is the word that they use for the old timey ghosts. Right, like that's a 1920s word. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I really do enjoy that part of it. Um, but yeah, then we get into the gameplay, and the gameplay is just solid. It is. It is. And it's a cooperative boss battler. Right. So, with each scenario, you have a haint that you need to defeat. Right. Um, and basically, the kind of, like, theme is that you have jumped on a train. You're vagrants that are train hopping, yep. you know, which was far more common in the 20s and 30s. And as you get on the train, you find there are other people on the train. And I think in the opening scenario, it's like, you don't remember seeing them get on, but you're all here, which makes me think we're going to get to like scenario 25 and it'd be like, ah, you were all dead, but we'll get there. Like spoilers. I don't know. We don't know. I'm just making a guess, but you're on the train. And then you realize that not only you and your, the other vagrants are on the train, but there are also haints, which again, the ghosts and you take it upon yourself, I guess, to, bring them back to humanity so that they can get off of the train, which you now know is a ghost train. It yeah. feels like there's a lot of decisions that were made as you were getting into the train that could have gone another way. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. It's probably like, ah, yeah, we're on the train. Ah, no, we can't get off the train. Like, <laughs> Cause I, I know the, the first scenario where we'll spoil a little bit here. Um, if you want to play, just, you know, skip the first scenario. I don't know. Play through it. It'll be fun. Yeah, it, yeah. it plays different every time. Yeah, yeah. So the first scenario is the haint is called Turned Faces. Mm -hmm. And it's really creepy because when you look at the standee, it's like three people and they have their backs to you. And you're thinking, oh, I'll turn the standee around. It'll be their fronts. Nope. Still their backs. Still the backs. <laughs> it's very thematic. Like there's very, a lot yeah. of really cool, like kind of story moments in it and just like some um, interesting play along with the, the different haints and stuff like that. So it's just kind of a general overview of it then. Um, we t you start by picking your character. Um, and it's two to four players, but there are six different characters that you can pick from. Right. And they all kind of have a unique kind of finish to them, right? There's some standard things that they can all do. Right. You can move, rummage, investigate, patch yourself up, and bust is the one that it looks yep. like a fist. Because yep. apparently the way to bring ghosts back to humanity is to punch them in the face. And I was all for it. Each one of them is different as well, because you have to roll dice to activate your ability right. once you choose it. And so for one character, like their bust was like a three or better would activate it. Yep. Where others, it was like a five or a six yep. that you had to roll. And then you get two skills you start off with. You'll start off with some junk that you may be able to use, like the broken mirrors, a piece of junk that we've seen a couple times. Yeah, where that we actually found, or you find in one of the scenarios. Um, and there's, there's a bunch of, it's like little pieces like that where... Um, 
like the broken mirror lets you add more humanity if um like the ghost or the haint pulls out the same kind of token that you're holding. Right. Yeah. Which is part of for vagrants, when you rummage, you reach into the bindle, again, some nineteen twenties word, <laughs> and you pull out one of these tokens, right? Yeah. And it can be there's like five different tokens. There's like the iron nails, the candle, the salt, the rabbit's foot, and the apple. Or you may pull an event which will trigger something happening. Yep. But the way gameplay goes is a vagrant goes, then the haint goes, then a vagrant, then the haint. And what the haint, what determines its movement is when you, you have to reach into the bindle and pull out one of these um, one of these tokens. So you never know exactly what's going to happen. Yep. Uh, so it, it really, it, so I think that keeps it interesting because now we've played through the first scenario a couple times. Um, so you kind of go back and forth and you're playing to, one, uh, not get sent westbound yourself. Yep. You're trying to move the hate's humanity meter up. And every time it reaches a certain point, it's what's called, it's breaking the hate. Yep. And you have to do it so many times and each hate is different. And that's how you win the game. You're trying to do that and not lose your own humanity in the process, which the hates are completely okay. Haunting you to death. Yeah. So yeah. Or uh, cutting you in some cases. Right. <laughs> that one's just like spooky. The Yeah. <laughs> It's fun, though, and it's a lot of fun in the game, um, even though it, it is a little spooky. The first time we did it, I found some, like, ghost train music to play over the TV while we were playing in the game room. Really set the atmosphere. It was great. Yeah, yeah. but no, it, it is a fantastic game, and it's not something, so we don't have very many, if any, like, boss battler games. I think this is really maybe our only one. I had a copy of Boss Monster somewhere, but I think it never made it home. But, like, it's really well designed, um, and what we've played, like, the characters all feel different. They they don't really have a defined role. No. Like, like I wouldn't say, but they all have, like, one thing, or at least one thing they're really good at. Right. Um, and I'm interested to see, because obviously we can see there are more, like, character-specific skills that you can get during the, the campaign. So I'm interested to see how those come up and when they come up. Right. Because um, that, will, that will be cool to see kind of what, what else shows up there. The way they laid it out is really cool because in between each scenario, you have like what's called a camp phase where you can spin the coins that you gain during the scenario to like heal up. Um, there's a creepy looking cat that you can buy junk and stuff from um, or you can like bank your coins with it. Right. I, I mean, I guess, you know, when you're on a ghost train, there's not a bank <laughs> or an ATM. So you use the cat. I'm not sure how hobos bank things. Yeah. The cat's holding it, I guess. It's got antlers and glowing eyes. I'm sure it's trustworthy. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's fine. Sure. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> but. Yeah, and it's really cool. There are different ways to like save your progress in the game. So every time you do a campaign game, you can save, and then you can you can switch out like to a different character, a different vagrant if you want to use one. Um, and all of your stuff is pretty much transferable, except for the like vagrant specific skills, right? Which is two. They all start with two specific skills that they yep. can upgrade later on. So they don't recommend in later levels, once you start getting more vagrant specific skills, switching them out very often. I know that is one thing that it says in the rule book. So let's score it. Uh, so let's start with components. Uh, this is, yeah, this is a, a big one. Easy. No problem. Obviously from the acrylic standees all the way down to like the card quality and stuff like that. The different board quality is very good. The board quality is really nice. Um, the only thing, like they are just punch tokens, so... That is what it is. They do have like little, um, I guess they're little acrylic hearts that you use, which to me are kind of, eh. Yeah, right. Yeah. I can live without it. I mean, yeah, yeah. The cards are all laminated though for the vagrants and for all of their skills. I mean, they're really nice. Yeah, they're really nice cards. Yeah, um, for sure. 
I I mean, I think I would probably give this, I'd probably give it an eight and a half, I think, on components, because they could have went with cardboard standees. They could have, yes. I think the acrylic standees really make the overall, like, the vision of the game really look good. Yes. They're clear acrylic with the pictures, I don't know if they're printed or painted or whatever on them or however they do it, but it looks really fantastic when you look across the board and see them like a solid eight and a half nine are we going to talk about the bindle we have to talk about the bindle uh yeah that's true i didn't really think about that uh, so the the bindle is the bag that keeps the the rummage tokens in which you use the rummage tokens as either using a rummage action as a vagrant or every time the haint takes a turn you draw one of those tokens out and that decides what action it takes problem is the bindle is for people with really tiny hands Neither of us have really tiny hands. We do not have really tiny hands. Uh, the opening on it is so small, you can't fit your hand inside of it. Yeah. Now, it's a cool like little hobo pattern. Right, right. It looks like a traditional bindle. If you don't know, you ever seen the pictures of like people walking away with all their stuff wrapped up in a handkerchief tied to a stick? That's a bindle. Yeah. So, it has the same pattern and stuff. Like It definitely fits the game, but it doesn't fit my hand. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we we swapped it out for a Crown Royal bag. Felt like it was of the same spirit, right? <laughs> also vagrants. Uh, but yeah, that that's one of the... That's probably the biggest complaint that I have. Yeah. yeah. Um, that and the, the acrylic hearts. So, you use them as markers to keep track of the each vagrant's humanity as well as the uh, current Haint's humanity. Right. Um, I don't know. They just feel... They're okay. Like, they give you a lot of them because the ones for the vagrants are tiny. So if you lose them, you got plenty of them. But, like, they're hard to pick up off a table. Like They kind of are, yeah. They're, 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 they're cut, but they lay flat. Yeah. So it makes yeah. it a little difficult. Now, when we use our mat that we bought on the table, it makes it a little bit easier. But yeah. still. But still, I mean, they're okay. They're not my favorite. And, I mean, the others are they're just cardboard pieces. Like, the different um, various tokens and stuff that you use. I will say... If I was going to upgrade this game, I would look to upgrade the Vagrant coins. So the three coins that each Vagrant gets to to choose their actions, I think would be really cool as like some kind of metal variant. Oh, yeah. Version. Yeah. Yeah. And each one of those coins, um, they have a like ABC on one side for when you have to make certain decisions like between, yep, between. scenarios and whatnot. And then on the other side, it actually has the individual vagrants all have a different symbol. Like the yeah. runaway is like a lightning bolt. So they all have their own symbol. It's the same three coins you're using every time. But yeah, upgrading those would be really nice. Yeah, yeah. I I think even if you got them made out of acrylic. Yeah. Like I think that would be really cool. Like that would that yeah. would really fit with the rest of the components and stuff. But yeah. I mean overall I still think eight and a half solid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um so let's talk gameplay. So this is a cooperative boss battler. So for people that want to win at all the board games, I mean... Like that guy from that article earlier. (laughs) Who felt embarrassed when he didn't win? I don't know what the hell happened there. Um, Yeah, this isn't a I'm going to win board game. This is a we've got to do this together. Yeah. Right? There are times where you need to... Uh, and we've done it a few times where you've got to save somebody in the second scenario. Some people get taken off the board and you have to use some like iron nails yep. to bring them back. Um, there are times where you need to position a certain way and you can t- kind of talk about it because there's no turn order. It's just you start a turn, 
and then all yeah. of you have to go. Yeah, at, at every round, you can decide the turn order of the vagrants. Right. So that, that gives you a lot of flexibility. And also, there are sometimes it's like the first vagrant to go this round takes four humanity damage. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, I'll take it this time. Somebody else can have it <laughs> yeah. this time. Yeah. Um, there's healing that you can do. Um, certain vagrants, when they heal, they can take the option of somebody within two spaces can heal on as well. So, yeah, it is cooperative, yeah. um, which we like. I mean, I think that makes it a lot of fun. Because um, you're all looking at whatever the creepy thing that you just pull out of the box is, and it's yeah. like, oh, okay, that's our that's what we're gonna deal with. I will say the the hate targeting system is a little counterintuitive, like it doesn't always make sense. Right, there are some like kind of specialty rules in there, so that does take a little bit of kind of maneuvering around. Um, the other thing that you run into sometimes with cooperative games is quarterbacking, where you can have one person kind of telling everybody what they need to do. Right, um, it's not. It's not as easy as some games make it to do that. So you can run into that depending on your game group. Right. Like if you have that player who is the the alpha gamer. Yeah. yeah. That wants to tell everybody the most opti- like optimal move to make. So just kind of keep an eye on that. The players are or the characters, the vagrants are not different enough to where that's not possible. Like say in like a game like Spirit Island where if you can keep track of two spirits, then you're doing really like, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that is kind of something to keep out, uh, out like a lookout for, but I mean, with us, that's not really a big issue. I don't think so. Other than that, I think like those are really my only two gameplay issues with it. Right. I, I just, I have a good time playing it. I really do. Yeah. There, there's a lot of really fun kind of nuanced things to it. There's always event tokens around the board to go like explore or pick up right um there are three like rituals which are objectives that you can be done during each of the the games so or each of the scenarios so trying to figure out how exactly to make those work and like complete those during the scenario is pretty cool yeah it, it adds an extra degree of complexity onto it yeah but it's not like it doesn't make the game like overpowering or too difficult like, if yeah. you don't get them, fine. But if you do, like, it's stuff like, I know in one of them, it was like, you got to find his floppy hat. Yeah. And it ends up being an event that drops onto the board, yeah. um, which I like that. I like the way that those are tied into each scenario. Yeah. And really when, well done. When you found it, it ended up giving you the junk item, like the floppy hat. Yeah. Yeah. I'm digging the floppy hat. Yeah. And I mean, and I like that it's it's very narrative driven. Like, yes. To keep with the floppy hat, when you, if you get that and you pick it up, it's like the inside is like. Well, I can't remember how it describes it, but basically says like it's all gooey and nasty and you still decide to put it on your head like, <laughs> you know, it, it's those kind of funny kind of moments are sprinkled into kind of this. I mean, kind of a darker kind of theme because you got your you're stuck on this ghost train. It, uh, it really does. Like there's a what's the cartoon? It's like an older like 1920s cartoon with all the like the skeletons dancing and like it's all like the haunted stuff that's what it really reminds me of when you're playing yeah. it and the game board you see like these blue kind of ghost figures around the outside of the train yeah and they've got these big like ridiculous smiles and it would be terrifying in real life right right um yeah and the reading into it and the themes and what you have to read for the events and stuff like that the story driven part of it i feel like it really keeps it like in that vein yeah yeah so all right so for gameplay what do you think you give it um so I think again, this is a good solid eight, eight and a half, maybe, um, maybe even a nine. Like I don't feel any like there's anything like you said. The targeting can be a little confusing for the haints, but 
for a cooperative game, um, I think playing it with four people again, like we did, it felt really good, you know, and it wasn't, it didn't feel too slow. It didn't feel like sometimes when you play your max number, it kind of makes the game drag. I didn't yeah. feel that when we were playing. Yeah, no, the the turns are pretty snappy, especially if you, the other players are like paying attention. Yeah. Because you can set your moves like what you want to do pretty much beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Um, they might alter a little bit depending on how the haint moves or not. But yeah, I I think I would give it a solid nine. Like I, I really enjoy it. Um, once you get a hang of the, the targeting, it's not bad. Um, that is just something kind of keep out your first couple playthroughs, but yeah, like it's, it's fantastic. All right. So let's jump into replayability now. So we've played the first scenario, first two scenarios a couple times and yep. both times were great because they do play differently. I think a lot of it is the haint has, um, certain moves that it'll make. And it also has a token where it's kind of like a happy token. And then it, sometimes it flips over and it's the angry token and that can determine what it'll do. Yep. It'll change its behavior, but you're always drawing out of that bindle for a token so i mean you don't know what you're going to get it, it, it keeps the gameplay um really kind of diverse from the point of view of the haint there's no one if you play these four characters and you do these four things it's going to be easy to get through yeah there there are a couple things like specific events specifically that's yeah. that's the only part of it that is repeated really yep so those events will be repeated across each scenario, but there are what twenty five different scenarios. I was say, yeah, there's twenty five scenarios in the book. That's a lot of scenarios. Yeah, I mean that's that's twenty five plays. Yeah, I'm wondering <laughs> how far we're gonna get. Uh, we need at least ten this year. Yeah, but and each one is different. Each one has a different like. Each one has the either the hate is different or uh, I was looking ahead a little bit. Sometimes the hate has like special requirements that have to be done so it makes the scenario different yeah so there there's plenty of replayability if you get 25 game or 25 plays out of a game that's 60 bucks that's that's pretty good right and that rolls us right into value the, right now uh you find it for about 60 bucks is yep. online i think it's suggested retail is 66 so it's right in there um and when you get this game too that's the other thing that i noticed when like picked up the box like it's heavy yeah it's a heavy box yeah like yeah. they you could tell it's really like the game board is really nice there's a lot of weight to it with the acrylic standees with the two books you actually get your rule book and you get your scenario book the dice um are nothing real special but they do look perfect for this yeah they're like the old old like bone colored dice right and that's what they call them in the game it'll tell you you got to roll two bones and yeah. you're like oh okay i get it we're doing old stuff yeah it still works really well. I mean, you're definitely getting your money's worth. Like, I mean, I think this is a nine, nine, five for value all day long. Yeah. I think there is, there is plenty of game in this box. Yeah. <laughs> and it's plenty of good game in this box. Um, yeah. I think for, for replayability value, I think I'd go a solid nine too. Um, we get into overall. Um, I mean, this is this is up there for me. Like, I really I'm I'm a sucker for a good cooperative game anyway. Like, those are usually some of my favorites. Um, I I mean, I think I'd probably put this. I'd probably put this at eight point five really high, like maybe close to a nine. It's, I, I don't know if I quite give it that, but I mean, it's definitely in my top ten games for sure. I think so right now. Yeah, that's right where I am. Like, it feels like a good solid nine. Because I'm going to play this again. Like I want to get through the 25 scenarios, which yeah. getting 25 plays, like you said, in any board game, 
um, is pretty good. And to get 25 individual plays, they're going to be something different. By the time we get to the end, we could start over. I'm not going to remember what the events were. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, even even having played, because it's only been a, a week or so since we played it last. So mm-hmm. it hasn't really been that long um, since we played it before the last time we played it. So I remembered some of the stuff that was going to happen, but I still don't remember everything. And there were some stuff we didn't explore yeah because we were only we were running as two people so that when you run it with more players obviously the haint gets harder to break and you have more people taking action so you have more people being able to spread out across the map right. and investigate and, different yeah, areas and scenarios go to those weird like tokens that pop up on the edge of the map and stuff so yeah there we were able to see even more of the scenario than what we saw just playing initially mm-hmm. so yeah there there's a lot of really good stuff for me, uh, this is one. This is one game that I want to continue playing for sure. Yeah. Luckily, it's on our ten by ten, so we're getting at least eight more plays out of it. Nah, we have to. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, guys. Vagrant Song. If you can find it, um, good luck, and um, you know, watch out for the haints. Hey, now it's time for our first crowdfunding roundup of 2023. All right, so we got three games here that we want to take a look at. Um, a couple of really interesting ones that caught my eye as I was going through Kickstarter uh, in the past week or so. Um, so the first one that we have, we'll just go ahead and hop right in, um, is called Hollywood 1947. Uh, so the description of this game is a movie making game of strategy and deception. Create masterful films with the other members of your film studio, but beware of spies slipping propaganda into the movies. So my, fir- <laughs> my first impression, you're looking for communists. It's like you're playing the McCarthy scare in Hollywood 1947. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 100%. So this is a uh, semi-social deduction game. Uh, it plays one to nine players. So I'm interested to see how the one player works. Um, but I, I was looking a little bit. I didn't really see the specific rules for solo play. But uh, are you, is it like, am I a communist? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> do you have to play as a, like, you're tricking yourself into being a communist? I don't know. This game feels like it might be like a starter game into communism. <laughs> no, this one looks really cool. It it apparently plays in 20 to 40 minutes, mm-hmm. which is actually pretty fast. Um there's some really interesting stuff. I like the artwork in it, the different um, posters and stuff like that that represent the different genres of movies. Um, the little transparent film strips that they have that kind of you lay over the movie posters to keep track of who gets the points for them. Right. Um, is really cool. Um, there's a lot of like neat little tokens and stuff that um, represent um, like extra powers and stuff that you can get. So there's like a uh, like an old time camera and like movie reel like um, and I know they added a popcorn bucket. <laughs> then they had like a megaphone, like the old school 1940s director megaphone. Um, I, I like the pieces on it. And then you can again, there are upgrades to uh, wood and metal tokens uh, that you can take as well. Yep. Um, little stretch goals and stuff in the Kickstarter. Um, there are a bunch of different videos and stuff that people have covered it. So not going to go too in depth on it. Something to check out though. It definitely looks different. Yeah. Um, now these guys have also made some other games. I've seen them uh, out before and I've been interested in them. 
Yeah, the company that's putting this out is Facade Games. They've also done some other ones. Uh, Salem, 1962. Tortuga, 1667. Um, a lot of these have all been Kickstarters. Deadwood, 1876. So uh, this is kind of their thing. These little games that come in like book packages. I really like the packaging. They can sit on your shelf and they would look like books. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's some pretty cool stuff going on with this game. Um, I do like the... Uh, I, I'm interested to see the social deduction aspect of it, exactly how that plays along here. Uh, which you know, as we've said many times, is not our favorite genre. Right. But there's enough interesting things going on here that I want to check it out more. So, uh, entry level pledge for this one is $27 to get a copy of the game. Um, that includes the standard copy as well as the costumes expansion pack and any stretch goals um, that pop up. Right. It said it also comes with discounted shipping and no extra shipping costs after Kickstarter, which they know how to reel us in, baby. Yeah. <laughs> As someone who paid an arm oh. for Marvel Zombie shipping, uh, we like that. <laughs> it might have been cheaper just to go pick it up from the distributor, honestly. <laughs> in China. In China. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, the next level is for the deluxe edition, which includes the upgraded tokens and things like that. Uh, that comes in at 44 bucks. So. Really not bad price points here. No. Um, there are some other uh, some other upgrades that go up from there. Uh, there's an additional uh, there's an additional expansion that you can get um, with a pledge of like seventy four dollars or more. Um, so there's there's some pretty cool stuff with this one. Definitely one to take a look at if you're into social deduction games or if you like some of the other games that this company has come out with, because uh, you can also get pick up some of those during the Kickstarter as well. Yeah, a pledge of 129 gets you Hollywood 1947, its costume pack, all of its stretch goals, and then the ones I was talking about, Salem, Tortuga, Deadwood, Bristol, um, and the Index book box. So all of that comes with that pledge. Yep. Um, so that one, that one looks very interesting. Again, if you're into social deduction games, take a look at that one. Um, tons of people have done like video reviews and gameplay reviews on it. So there's a bunch of stuff out there on this one. So they've already met their goals. 23 days left as of time of recording. Yeah, they have really surpassed their goal. So that usually tells you this company has at least some track record. So, yep. yep. All right. And speaking of our favorite Kickstarter company. <laughs> so I know that you're a fan of this game. You've got the core set. Uh, yeah, and so the game we're talking about in the company is Simon, and we're talking about Marvel United. So I have the original base retail version of this game. Right. I I am kicking myself that I did not get the Kickstarter version uh, because as Simon games love to do, there was a, a whole separate box full of Kickstarter exclusives. But the one we're talking about here is Marvel United Multiverse. So this is the new iteration of Marvel United. Uh, there was obviously the original. There was an X-Men version that came out. There was like a Spider-Verse version. So here we're here we're in the multiverse. There are some really cool um, chibi sculpts and things like that. So this game, it is also a boss battler that you take on the role of one of the superheroes of your choice. And you kind of work around the game board, which is these cards that are laid out in a circle. Right. And you work around the circle trying to either like defeat um, like thugs or rescue people or complete these different objectives so that you can then actually fight the bad guy. Um, each bad guy plays different, which I do like. They all have special abilities or special um like certain win conditions or things like that, that they can defeat you with. So there's a lot of variability just in the, the game from there. Now, what we have here is the multiverse 
it has things like the Wrecking Crew, which are Kickstarter exclusives. Um, and who doesn't love little Marvel chibis? But it also has Galactus as a chibi. And <laughs> it's wonderful. He's a big chibi. Yeah. But he's a chibi. He's a big chibi, but he's still a chibi. There's a lot of really cool heroes in this one. I know there's like Black Knight. Uh, there is um, in Captain the- Carter. Yep. Uh, the Shuri Black Panther, Spider-Man 2099, the woman version of Thor, which I guess is Mighty Thor. Yep. And Ironheart. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So many, like, so many of the, like, the ones that come out of, like, the What If comics. Yeah. There's even a Cosmic Ghost Rider that you can either play as a hero or a villain, which I do like how they introduced that. I think there was a couple others that they introduced in one of the later sets as well. Um, the There are some base villains that come. In there, you get uh, Immortus, Maestro, and Emperor Doom. So, uh, again, um, when we were talking about this one, as we pulled it up, these are not my favorite like Marvel characters or anything, or they're not even the most well-known. But we do love how they're kind of expanding and exploring more parts of that IP. Right. So, I can tell you the game is fantastic um, as far as just the base gameplay goes. Um, it's got some really cool like nuanced stuff, depending on what villains you're playing against and things like that so i enjoy marvel united um it's definitely a cool one there's always really cool kickstarter upgrades because it's simon they they always do kickstarter upgrades Mm -hmm. um this one has reached a ton of their goals i'm sure they have a few more in their in their sleeve they still got 16 days to go and it's already almost at 1.2 million dollars i was gonna say i'm I'm running down just all the different characters to get unlocked as it goes yeah yeah and uh yeah I think they might have unlocked all the characters. Dark Child was the last one to get unlocked. Um, for the pledge levels, there's only two pledge levels on this one. Yep. Um, $65 will get you the Marvel United Multiverse and with the Wrecking Crew Villain Team exclusive. And then all the applicable stretch goals, which again, CMON, it's minis. Um, or you can do the $100 pledge, which gets you the game, the Wrecking Crew, the... Uh, applicable stretch goals but you also get the coming of galactus expansion and the iron lad hero uh there is an, a, a couple of add-ons that you can do as well for them there are uh, some different team decks and um an actual expansion called war of the war of kings so there is some stuff out there that that you can add on to it i was really hoping they were gonna like open up like some of the previous kickstarter stuff for this one they did not unfortunately or at least haven't as of yet <laughs> we'll see maybe that'll be a stretch goal um but yeah uh really cool stuff if you're a fan of the game um if you're a fan of galactus take a look at this one and definitely some stuff here for you so the last one that we have up i had seen some stuff pop up in my social media about this one it is called once upon a line it is a scratch off adventure game yes this one caught my eye because this is something that I obviously have never seen before. Right. Um, they even have a little thing on their Kickstarter. It says the first scratch off adventure game. It does some interesting stuff. This is a design. Like we were talking earlier in the show, this is some of that new design space that keeps coming out where people are making these games with, with new and exciting mechanics. There's a few things about this. It is kind of a very like narrative um, adventure game. Um, it's divided up into different uh, chapters where you kind of play as this hero where you are trying to, you know, do the usual, avoid the tragedy, destroy of destroying the world, all that sort of stuff. The big thing for me was the <laughs> the scratch off part. Right. Like you it looks like you've got these different game boards that kind of help 
determine where your story goes. And when you make a decision, they have like a little scratcher and you scratch a line off, uh, you know, either vertically or horizontally to further the game. Yeah. Like that's where the instructions are hidden in these boards. Um, I guess it means it's a single playthrough. I would imagine the replayability is kind of low. Right. Uh, (laughs) There are expansions already prepared to come out. Yeah. And I think they're part of it as well. Um, yeah. They, there looks like they have a lot of content already kind of like ready and lined up. Right. It kind of makes me in that aspect kind of reminds me of like, uh, what is it? Time stories where once you've played through it, like you can play through them again, but you know what the options are. You know yeah. Yeah. You know the ways that to go and things like that. Um, but this is just a really interesting mechanic, like just or a really interesting build. I, I'm, I'm interested because of that. Yes. Yeah, that's that's kind of what drew me in as well. Uh, I want to know, first off, I, I want to know how it works, like how it how it affects the game, like what part of the game is included in that. Because you're scratching off literally just words. Yep. Um, and they are clues to progress the game from what I understand. But yeah, there's a lot of really interesting stuff here. I'm excited to see where it goes. I do know that they partnered with Lucky Duck Games, which, as you know, we're fans of Lucky Duck. They have put out some fantastic like story driven games. So if they're putting their name on publishing this one, that's usually a pretty good sign to me. They do have recharge packs, which have, you can get the boards over again. So you can play other people can play them or whatever. Um, For this one, looking at the different pledges here, they have a $2 pledge that gives you access to the pledge manager. So if you're not sure what you want yet, you can get access to that later. Um, they're looking at delivery May of next year, which is not terrible. No. I imagine there's probably some pretty lengthy production going into this. Um, so the base game of this will cost you about $43. Uh, so you get um, the base game. You get the uh, one Splendor and Degradation expansion. Um, and you also get the Deluxe Metal Scratcher. Just for pledging in the Kickstarter. You also get a copy of the uh, Butterfly's Breath, which is the recharge pack. Okay. So basically you get two extra prologue grids. uh, And it comes with, yeah, it comes with the upgrades. You have some, you can play it again with someone else. Uh, Yeah, that looks really good. The next one up is the, it's about, it's around $100 uh, for the next uh, upgrade. It also gives you the Trance of Silverfish expansion. The Water of Our Discontent expansion and the Deluxe Metal uh, Scratcher tool along with all the unlocked content. Yeah, so the stuff from the the previous tier. So the Splendor and Degradation and the Trance of the Silverfish are exclusive to the company that is designing this game. Okay. So that that is one thing they say. If you don't get those in the Kickstarter, that's the only place you could get is from them. Okay. So um, just kind of something there. Um and then for like another 10 bucks, the last uh, pledge level um, gives you all the gameplay content plus recharge plat- packs for all of the gameplay to reset it. Yeah. Which I feel like that's kind of a deal if you're wanting to go that route. If you're really into this, uh, I think this is the way to go. If you, I, I, if I'm going to spend 100, I'll spend 108. Yeah, this this is definitely this is interesting. I, I don't know that I'm going to back it because I'm still in for probably backing the dark quarter as a late pledge here in the next couple of weeks. But this one, the, I like the design space. I like where they're going with it. I like that it's different. Yeah. Um, it is already funded. They have already reached their goal. They do have 10 days left. Um, so there is still some time. 
to back this one if you would like. And I'm assuming being a Lucky Duck published game, because they're the ones doing all the English conversion for it, um, I'm assuming you'll probably be able to late pledge it as well. They they usually have that available too. So um, definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, if any of these games interest you, go take a look at them. Um, pledge if you want to, or just go in for a dollar to keep track of them. You know, you do you. All right, and with that, the Haint draws the Iron Nails, and that means all vagrants within two spaces lose two humanity. The Runaway's up next. So my pup, who is the goodest boy, will investigate Scenario 5. Two successes. You have found the floppy hat. It's about as gross as you thought it would be, but then for whatever reason, you decide to put it on. The Haint gains five humanity, and that breaks him for the last time. His limbs violently flail and lash out, unready to let go. The blue flame pouring from his eyes extinguishes, and he vanishes from sight like a windswept balloon. For a brief but welcome moment, all is quiet. Thanks everyone for sticking around and listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, let me ask you a favor. Follow us and leave us a like wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us out. And if you have anything to say back to us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for The Dapper Meeple. On Twitter, our handle is at the Dapper Meeple, or email us at dappermeeplegaming at gmail.com. And as always, we'll save you a seat at the table. <laughs>